Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of the Simply Fit Podcast. Got three very exciting questions to go through today. The first one in particular, I think it's going to help a huge amount of people. So I'm really excited to get into that one. We've got a training question, a nutrition question, and a mindset question. So we're actually going to start with a mindset question, which has a bit of a nutritional element to it as well. But you'll soon see why they're kind of intertwined and why it's more on the mindset side of things. So we'll get straight to it. I'm really good on my diet until something stressful, bad, uh, frustrating happens. And then I start emotionally eating. How can I stop this? So I think it's safe to say that a lot of us would have experienced this at some point or another. And I think the first positive to recognize here is that you're actually having the self-awareness to know that you're emotionally eating. I think a lot of us actually don't realize that we are emotionally eating. And the main reason I identify this a lot, and I actually have to handle this a lot with my clients as well, is because of in the past, like let's say prior to health and fitness journey, and if you're not on one at the moment, usually it just comes with the positives, right? Don't get me wrong. Eventually you might not be super comfortable with how you're looking in the mirror and there may be negative consequences from a long-term perspective. But, you know, usually in the past it was a stressful situation, it was an upsetting situation and you went and had a takeaway, right? And you felt good about it. You just sat there with your takeaway. It kind of numbed the pain a little bit. It was a good distraction. But what happens is when someone starts working with myself or they start a health and fitness journey themselves is all of a sudden they go for that coping mechanism, which I'm going to touch on in just a second, which is takeaways or quote unquote unhealthy foods during times where it's stressful or whatever. And all of a sudden there's resistance because their goals are to get in the best shape ever or to improve their health. That takeaway 
is, you know, it's questioned because of, it's all of a sudden counterintuitive to the goal, the long-term goal that they've set. And this is where it comes into question. All of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I've actually got these, these uh, coping mechanisms. I've got these responses that cause me to eat foods, but I knew they were there before, but I didn't realize how in control they were until I had to, you know, put in a uh, self-discipline. I had to follow a nutrition plan or a certain format of eating. It's the eye-opening moment. And this is where I usually get an email from someone who's saying like they really, they either stayed strong but found it really challenging or they gave in. Um, and they feel really guilty, frustrated, etc., etc. But the thing here is that I would be willing to bet that everyone has had or has their own coping mechanism. And it's either, you know, food, alcohol, drugs, work, gambling, whatever it is, right? And it's only really becomes visible when it really disrupts your life heavily or it all of a sudden doesn't align with the goals that you've set for yourself, which is quite often in this health and fitness journey. So the first step of um, working on this is just being able to recognize it. And once you can recognize something, even if this is not in the moment, but it's in hindsight, you can start questioning whether it serves you or not. Because we're always very good at you know, working something out once it's happened, after the fact. But I think uh, something that we don't do enough of is actually reflect both on the good and the bad. You know, why a certain situation happens, whether it's good or bad, we should always think, okay, if it was good, what did we do? What happened? What, you know, what circumstances influenced the positive outcome? Because if we can replicate that or create habits around that, then that's what we're going to want to do. Same goes for the bad. Why did this happen? Why, you know, I didn't like this experience. What led to this experience happening? And then we can start working on strategies to work on that or understanding it on a deeper level. And I think that's really, really valuable, just reflection in itself. And that's why I'm a big fan of journaling as well. Because if sometimes you can look back at a journal entry, I did recently myself, and I'd be very transparent here. And I was surprised at what I wrote. Um, but if I hadn't wrote that down in that moment, I wouldn't kind of seen how far I'd come. So I think that's going to be something that if you haven't tried journaling, might be worth doing, but just simple reflections can be very, very valuable. So quite often, most of the time, when these food cravings or whether they come, there's a trigger, there's an impulse, and then there's an action, right? So we're going to talk about the triggers first. It might be emotional. What was it? It was something that set you off at work. It was stress. It was, I don't know, your kid coming home with bad grades or something along those lines. Then we have the environmental ones. I don't know how many times this has happened to you, but I know this has happened to me a lot. You see an advert or a sign on the side of the, the bus stop that it has some food that you haven't eaten in a while and you get home, you're like, oh, I really fancy that food. And then you're like, and then if you question it, you're like, why do I fancy that food? And then you realize, you know, you've just been seeing it on adverts for the past few days and it's in your head. And once you question it, you're like, do I really want it? Or is it just because I've been seeing it so much? And that's where, you know, marketing comes in. And that's where these advertisers are strategic and intelligent. That's why they place things on your Instagram feed. Because the more you see something, the more you want it, right? They're just planting seeds. So we've got to understand both we've got emotional and environmental triggers. So it's worth looking at which one caused it or if it was a combination of both. Then we've got an impulse, right? So what I want to talk about here is the trigger is what set you off and the impulse is what that makes you want to do. It's kind of like thoughts and feelings, right? We have a thought 
and then it makes us feel a certain way. So these two are kind of tied up. So the trigger, then the impulse. So the trigger is the stressful day at work. The impulse is I want to eat something. And then obviously the next stage is action. And this is where the critical part comes in. We can't really separate the trigger and the impulse. But what we can do is we need to cultivate and create space between impulse and action so that we can make a decision that serves us in the long term as well as the short term, right? Because if we just go to impulse to action, which usually happens, we make the most automatic choice, the one that's probably been ingrained in your mind for years and years and years. Whereas if we create space between that, we can ask the questions and then potentially make a much better decision. So I think that would be something that's so crucial to cultivate and that can only happen with reflection, right? If you can question where that trigger came from, understanding it, how long has it been going for, then you can actually put something in place to make a better decision. And we could put strategies in place, we could put techniques in place, but going to this root cause, it's not comfortable, it's not easy, but it's gonna be the most valuable thing you can do. I'm, I'm so sure of this. Yes, it's the hard way, but it's the way that's gonna help you for the long term. The next step to overcoming this, especially if it's been ingrained and unquestioned within your psyche for 20, 30, 40 years, which for the most part it is, these behavior patterns and these coping mechanisms were probably developed at quite a young age. We've got to understand it's going to take some time to rewire. And I intentionally don't say like, just get rid of. I know that some people can just quit smoking overnight, but I feel like we have to rewire. We work on feedback loops, right? And like I just said, trigger, impulse, action. So what we need to make sure is that every time that we have to trigger the impulse, the action doesn't become the same and we slowly stop doing that. And all of a sudden it will become something we don't do. It'll be less of a habit. And then we need to put a new feedback loop in place. So trigger impulse, but then it goes to a new different action, but one that serves you in the long term, something that actually is going to make you feel better and align with your long-term goals or the highest version of yourself. It can just be as simple as, okay, I'm not going to make the choice for the pizza. I'm going to make homemade pizza, right? Or I'm not going to binge out and watch Netflix. I'm just going to get myself out for a walk and then I'll come back and then see how I feel after that. And it's just about reassessing the feedback loop because once we work on developing a new one and then we keep layering it and layering it and layering it, that's where habits are formed and it's just a case of unwiring the first one and rewiring the second. And I tell you why replacing is better than removing because of in our minds, we've got to think of this logically. If someone says, hey, I'm taking this away from you and that's it. And it's something that you quite liked. Or they say, I'm taking this away, but I'm going to give you something else, right? That's a much more softer and more welcomed approach I feel like I'm I would always take something rather than it being completely taken away from me so if someone said to me let me give you a funny example here someone said hey I'm taking your coffee away from you and that's it you just you're not even going to drink anything I'd be like what you know I'd be outraged but if someone said hey I'm taking away your coffee but I'm going to give you a tea instead I might be like okay I can live with that maybe not not forever but I can live with that for now right so if I was given that and then I developed the habit of drinking tea instead of coffee, rather than just avoiding coffee and hot drinks altogether, I think I'm going to be a lot more successful. So I hope that little example, um, I've never thought of that before, but now it really solidifies that in my mind as well. So we need to really work these things out and we need to understand and recognize why it really doesn't serve us. And I think it's important to assess these deeply, but also verbalize what you're doing, how it makes you feel, right? So if you feel that 
impulse and a trigger and you have enough space between making the action you can actually start say like okay i want to have pizza okay how will that make me feel and you know how will it make me feel in the moment okay it might be good for like you know a few bites what happens if i eat a whole pizza i'm probably going to feel really bad like my stomach's going to start to hurt i'm probably going to feel lethargic i might wake up in the morning feeling a bit bloated and um, have poor troubles with my digestion and it doesn't really align with my long-term goals so i'm going to have to go message my coach and i'm going to feel a bit guilty about that because ultimately i do want to succeed so you see if you start to actually map out how it makes you feel not just in the short term but the long term then you're like, okay, that might not be a good idea. But then you can write reason with yourself. It might, and again, it's not a case of removing, okay, I don't, maybe I don't want all the pizza, but maybe someone else in my household wants pizza and we can, um, I can have three slices and then they can have three slices and someone else can have three slices. And, you know, I can then probably fit this within my, my calories. I'm not going to feel terrible and I'm still going to get a little bit of what I wanted. And that can be a really, really good way of doing that. But unless you verbalize what you're doing, work out how it's going to make you feel long term, then it's going to be really hard to create a decision or come to a decision, I should say, that serves you both in the short and the long term. And one of my biggest beliefs behind why people don't succeed or potentially do something sooner is that they fail to link how what they do right now impacts their future self, right? It's very much all about pushing towards that short term gratification versus the long. I think, you know, what I'm realizing now is the key for me personally and the success that I want to have in this world, it's about pushing for that long-term gratification, pushing for that long-term gratification. And that's what it all comes down to for me. And actually that becomes, once you actually get in the groove of pushing for long-term gratification, you actually get a sense of accomplishment, which actually gives you that short-term gratification as well. So that's an important caveat that I want to make here. And one final note on that, I mentioned this in a YouTube video that I went to a meditation seminar once and the guy said something profound and it was that the present moment plants the seed for the future. And that stuck with me ever since. It's like the present moment plants the seed for the future. So what you're doing right now, you are projecting into your future. So make sure that it serves you right now and in the long term as well. So now we know that we need to trade, we need to create a new feedback loop, etc. Uh, we need to know what serves us related down the line. Maybe if it's even the thing that we don't, you know, don't want to do in the moment. And it's all about finding like what is that long-term gratification. Maybe it's going for a run instead of lounging on the sofa and eating and binging on food. Maybe it's listening to your favorite song, just uplifting your spirits a bit, calling a friend who is always high energy and puts you in a much better place, going to a drive or whatever. You know, just take yourself away from the environment and then try and cultivate the decision that works best for you. The main thing here is actually consistent implementation will help you win this game. Like consistently working in alignment with your goals and the habits that serve you in the long term, and it's through repetition that these feedback loops come stronger. Like I said, you know, they're really, you know, we're layering it and layering it and layering it. And something you can do, in, especially in this moment, if you want to snap out of this, is understand that you can even place that old coping mechanism as a different identity, as a different person to you. Take it outside of yourself. And every time you go to do it, you can say, oh, wait, I don't do that anymore. That was, you know, a coping mechanism of the old Elliot the prior version of myself, you know, this new and improved version, this 2.0 version doesn't do that. And that could be a really good way to snap out of it. You're like, oh, that was the old me, right? This is the new me, the, the me who values um, my goals being, uh, you know, 
in alignment with my higher self, etc., etc., etc. So, final thing I want to mention on this is a setback is only detrimental if you let it stop you. So, if you do fall into this, just don't let it stop you. You just got to brush yourself off, reflect, and get going again. Brush yourself up, reflect, and get going again. And those those three parts are crucial. You can't just brush yourself up, get going, but not really analyze why it happened. That reflection is key. So those three in that order as well. Let's summarize. Cultivate awareness is number one. Question the action, the impulse, the trigger. Reveal the truth, how it's going to make you feel short-term and long-term. Then work on unraveling the old feedback loop and then creating a new feedback loop. Remember, no one's going to take my coffee away from me unless they're giving me another hot drink, okay? And the final one, remain consistent. This is the only way that you're going to be able to really, really unwire that old coping mechanism, that old feedback loop, and truly embed the new one within your lifestyle. So I hope that was helpful. I'm so glad I'm able to answer that. And this second question today, this is a bit cheeky of me, but when I started the podcast, I had the idea initially that it was going to be four questions. But once I did four questions, I realized that I want this to be something that you can have actionable takeaways. And I thought after three questions, it's probably getting a bit much and trying to apply so much You know, when you hear four things, you got all your actionable takeaways, it can be a bit overwhelming. So I'm actually going to fill in this next segment, this training section, with a question that I answered originally in episode one. So just be aware that the audio might change a little bit, but I'm going to let you go into it now. So next question is, what is the best time of the day to train? And that is a really, really good question and something I also get asked a fair amount. And I don't want to rule this question out too early. But the black and white answer to this is it's honestly what time works best for your schedule. Because at the end of the day, even if training first thing in the morning fasted is the most optimal thing to do, if your mind is elsewhere, you know, if if you can't, if you've actually got children who maybe wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning or, you know, you have to start work at 7 a.m. and you've got meetings to prepare for and your mind is just not in the workout and you've got so many different things to do and you're rushing around, try and just make sure it's completed before you have to do all your obligations, then it's not really an optimal time. You know, yes, on, you know, on paper and maybe from a scientific perspective, we might be able to find the most optimal time. But if that time isn't optimal for you, then it doesn't, then it's not optimal, right? So that's what we've got to consider. So we have to find the best time in your schedule. And what I, and coming back to the first thing in the morning one, um, I used a pretty poor example of having so much to do in the morning. It might be relevant for some people, but I find that people with busy schedules, again, including myself, someone who has a lot to do in the day, I find that for training first thing in the morning is a really, really great idea because it's, there's a lot less demand on your time versus the evening. If you think about it, everyone is more or less awake at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. There is demands on your time from people, you know, clients, colleagues, friends, family. What about 5 p.m. versus 5 a.m.? You know, there's not as many people awake. And most people who are awake at that time, they're kind of doing their own thing. They're awake at that time for a reason. They're awake at that time because they don't want to be, you know, want people to be reaching out to them. They want their time to exercise in peace. They want the time to meditate, do their self-work or whatever they might want to do in the morning. And there's a reason they're up at that time. And if they're not, then they're probably asleep. 
So you have the people who are up in that time getting stuff done, and you also have those other people who are sleeping at that time. So there's a lot less demands on your time, and that's why I personally uh, favor the AM training. But at the end of the day, practical will always prevail over optimal. So if the training in the middle of the day is working for you and your schedule, because that's when people don't bother you as much and, you know, your kids are at school, uh, your spouse is at work and you can just get it done, then that's the best thing for you to do. Um, I wouldn't even worry about, you know, whether it's optimal to train in the evening or morning. I would just worry about what works best for your schedule because at the end of the day, it all comes down to you making sure you have the most effective training sessions and you actually get them completed as well. So there's going to be a couple of considerations, especially if you are an evening trainee as well. So if we're actually, in fact, on both, if we are an AM trainee, we've also got to bear in mind a few things. So if we're looking at an evening trainee, for instance, we've got to bear in mind that training and sleeping are at two opposite ends of the spectrum, especially from a nervous system perspective. So if we think about for things, uh, what we want to do in terms of training, we want to move, we want the heart rate to be higher, we want to be, we want blood in the muscles, we want to be able to amp ourselves up, we want to be able to lift heavy, we want to be motivated, we want blasting music in our ears. That is the opposite of what we want when we go to sleep. You know, we want a calm atmosphere, we want dim lighting, we want essentially being a, a restful state that's conducive to sleep. So if we look at them, they're kind of polar opposites. However, if you're training at 8 p.m. and expecting to uh, go to sleep at 10, at 10 p.m., then it's going to take some time for your body to get back into that rested state. Your body doesn't just really fast do a fast transition between being hyped up to being super relaxed it takes time and again from a nervous system perspective the training side of things is very sympathetic dominant and we've got to make an effort to bring ourselves back into a parasympathetic state to ensure that we can rest and digest we can ensure that we are in a conducive state to sleep so if we are an evening trainee we've got to bear that in mind so the first thing we don't want to be doing is having caffeine later in the day we want to be loading up on stimulants and pre-workouts because that's just going to add one more thing to the mix that's going to prevent you from getting restful sleep. If you are opting for a pre-workout, try to go for one that doesn't have stimulants. And what my main advice to you to be is, obviously you don't want to adjust your training session per se. You still want to amp yourself up. You still want to produce the best of your ability. But as soon as you put, you finish that last rep, your mindset has to be geared towards recovery and calming down and getting yourself back into that parasympathetic state. So what that might mean is as soon as you finish your workout, you go and do some deep breathing. You know, you settle your breathing. You try and bring down your heart rate. Obviously, you might want to have a post-workout meal, but you also got to bear in mind you don't want that meal to be too heavy. Uh, because if you're going to be sleeping soon, we don't want to be your body to be like digesting a heavy amount of food when you're trying to rest because once again, potentially compromise sleep. So it's all about just getting ourselves in the best possible position for sleep. So this might be where we want to do some meditation. This might be where we want to um, be even more proactive about having dim lighting, avoiding stimulants in the form of TV, in terms of phones, in terms of the blue lights coming into your radar. Um, and this is just really where you want to emphasize that evening routine that sets you up for sleep because without it you're probably going to be kind of riding high on that hyped up state that you got from training uh, for a while and then obviously you're going to have that subsequent impact on sleep so those are a few things to consider if you're a pm trainee if you're an am trainee the main things to consider here is first of all if you've never done it before 
allow your body some time to adapt, right? If your body is used to training at 3 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m., it's gonna take some time to transition. Your body gets familiar with the time of day and the rhythms that you do things. So if you've been training at 6 p.m. for the last 10 years and all of a sudden you track to an a.m., you'll feel the difference. So keep yourself and body some time to adapt, first and foremost. Second thing we need to consider here is hydration. You know, if you've not drank any water through the night, which you probably shouldn't be if you want a restful amount of sleep, then you're gonna be probably quite dehydrated upon wake. So we wanna make sure that we get as much fluid into the system without making ourselves feel all uh, bloated and uh, horrible before we head into our training sessions. So that's one thing to be considered. We also gotta bear in mind like the hydration of our like um, vertebrae and our like spinal fluid as well. And I know that this is brought to my attention quite a bit during people who fasted during the Ramadan time as well and how they might want to avoid doing heavy deadlifts if they are uh, fasted and they're not you know drinking any uh, fluids if they're you know if they're not drinking any fluids throughout the day which they wouldn't be it's something to bear in mind as well so that's another thing from the hydration perspective also alongside that we've also got to bear in mind sleep quality you know, if we're not giving ourselves enough quality sleep, then we can have a compromised session. I feel like if you're it's later in the day and you've had a few meals in your system, you can kind of blag a bit, little bit of a better uh, session. However, if you're coming off the back of a really poor night's sleep and you just head straight into your training session, you got to be aware of that. We've also got to be aware of our core body temperature as well. Naturally, throughout the day, we might not even need to warm up just because we are moving around. It's a little bit warmer later in the day. So our core body temperature is going to be already higher. However, if you're getting up 5 a.m. or before the sun has risen or you're living in a cold area and you've got a cold gym, you know, your muscles might not be as fluid as they would be given if they were warm. Uh, so you just need to make sure that you give enough time to your warm-up uh, to ensure that you're not going into a heavy lift, super cold, super tight, and super stiff, because uh, it's never going to end well. And just finally, to give you some anecdotal experience as well, with all the clients that I've worked with in the past, this is completely anecdotal. There is nothing scientific about this. And if there is something scientific about this and you come across it, then please let me know, because it'd be good to back this up with some evidence. But I've always found that those who I train first thing in the morning fasted, versus the people I would train at 6 p.m., 5 p.m. in the evening when I was a one-to-one -one gym floor trainer tend to have better results, especially when it came to fat loss. I've got a theory. I'm not going to dive into it now, but I do have a theory. Uh, but I found that they always, always, always had better results. So that's just something to bear in mind from my personal experience. And yeah, it's just something to bear in mind. So if you've got the opportunity to train in the morning uh, versus the evening and you, your goal is fat loss, it might be something to explore. So I hope you can see why I wanted to keep that in and I hope that it helps you uh, pick your training time accordingly. So we'll move on to the final question, which is going to be our nutrition question today. And it goes like this. How do I fit in fun foods into my diet and why can others eat a lot of junk and still get into shape? Don't you just hate those people? Those people who can eat anything, get into shape? I'm not one of those people, by the way. So to answer the first part of the question, fun foods, quote unquote, can be factored into a fat loss plan. It can be done as a fat loss journey. Like a fat loss journey is not an all or nothing thing. As per, it's the extremists, they're the ones who create a bit of a false perception of how this can be done. Right. If you look at the IIFYM craze, which isn't actually as big these days, that was a big IIFYMer back in the day. And I think I've gone through what that means in the past. But if not, 
Google it and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Uh, the Rock's Cheat Meals. Those guys are super shredded and lean and they, you know, they're, they're with their abs in the Instagram picture, like holding a pizza box or holding a box of donuts. Like these are the people who create false perceptions around this. And to be completely honest, it's a little bit frustrating because it gives a very, very, again, a false perception of what's possible. And now I want to go into this and so show you how you might be able to do this, but in a quite a smart and strategic way. So let's start with this. To drop body fat or body weight, you need to be in a calorie deficit. I think we've all come to the conclusion that that's, you know, that's something that needs to be in place to drop body weight or body fat. Let's say your calories are at 1,800, you have 150 grams of protein, 150 grams of carbs, 65 grams of fat. It's going to roughly be about 1,800 calories. Let's say you want to eat a bar of chocolate. You know, you're at the supermarket, you just grabbed one of those small ones that are just by the checkout. It's got 15 grams of fat, 40 grams of carb. If you fit that within your daily targets and you are still within a calorie deficit, you can still make progress on your fat loss journey. Fact, right? I've seen it happen before. I've done it myself. And most people can attest to that if they were to try it today. But if you're, if you're working with me, you don't get to do that unless you got the all clear from me, okay? But we got to understand that your body will respond to different foods in different ways, right? The way the broccoli is broken down, the nutrients that it contains is completely different to how, I don't know, Haribo or that chocolate bar will be assimilated in your body. But let's look at this way. That's definitely a big factor to consider, but you can fit in those fun foods and stay within a deficit and still drop fat. Although I don't think this is a bad technique, right? I don't think it's a bad thing to do from time to time. I do believe there are a number of reasons why it might not be the best idea. And the first one is habit formation, right? We spoke about this a little bit just uh, in the first question. If you want to build a habit of eating healthier foods, uh, foods that make you feel good, um, and you're doing this for the first time, having a chocolate bar every day, it may help with adherence, but if it's a trigger food, like we mentioned earlier, or a coping mechanism, or even a gateway to just eating more and more, then it might not be the best thing to do. And it might actually be challenging, especially if you've not really cultivated a lot of self-discipline. And potentially you are disciplined when it comes to the nutrition element of things. Maybe you find discipline in other areas of your life. But if you haven't cultivated that around nutrition or deal, dealt with the triggers or the impulses, then it can be a challenging thing to have within your intake every day. Also, this is another big one. It may deter you from learning to say no. I know a lot of people who will drink and eat in a certain way because they're just uncomfortable with getting the comments from their family. And again, another thing we've discussed before, another uh, comfortable with their family, uncomfortable with their friends, don't want to be the ones eating, you know, in a certain way, don't want to be the ones not drinking. But it's so important that you set boundaries within your nutrition. And if you are going to try and fit these fun foods into your nutritional design, especially when you go out, then you may never get comfortable with doing this. And when it comes to the long-term nature of this journey, those who own it, own every single nutrition choice they make, they are the ones who succeed in the long term because they will go to some event. And again, I'm never against people eating what they want, but I'm against people being forced into eating certain foods in a, or drinking in a peer-pressured environment. And they were just like, no, I'm good. You know, and I always come back to the vegetarian or vegan example. You're not going to be able to force a vegan or vegetarian to eat um, meat or whatever at a social occasion because they've made that choice and they've made that commitment. And the same should go for any type of time that you are trying to, uh, you know, make better choices for your health or you simply just don't want to eat. 
right? So that's another point. Another is a period without certain foods, and this is why I quite often like people not to drink in the initial stages, is because you can become more intentional about the certain foods and uh, drinks that you have, right? And what you'll realize is in the first two, three weeks that you stop doing something, you'll realize that it kind of is in control of you versus you're in control of it. You're not having a beer because you wanted a beer. You're having a beer because you needed a beer or you're not having a whiskey because you wanted a whiskey. The whiskey is calling you because you had a hard day. But unless you say absolutely no for three weeks, you can start to realize when the whiskey calls you and when you call the whiskey, right? And you can be really intentional about this. And I think that's really, really valuable. But I'm gonna actually cancel out all of my points that I've just made there. As always, I'm gonna look at this from the other side. You can flip all of those points. Having three weeks away from alcohol might have that uh, that response where someone tells you not to press the big red button. You just might wanna have it all the time. So then it might not be helpful. Second one, you know, someone might actually find it easier to stay on the course of their journey if they're having foods that they enjoy and they don't have to say no in those social environments. And how about having, you know, the habit formation? If someone's just having that chocolate every day, they might be less likely to eat other foods that they potentially wanted to have within their intake. So there is a way of flipping that. And I did want to show you that I'm not completely biased in any way and that there is both sides of the story there. But I would say a lot of this does come down to timing. Um, And I think that's really important, especially if you're in your own fat loss journey. So I want to look at why you might not want to do this during the back end of your diet. And this is the time that I would basically not advise this whatsoever. So let's take the example of a meal out. And this happens quite a lot, especially with the guys that I work with uh, pre-lockdown, pre-COVID anyway. The priority of the restaurant is to make the food taste damn good. They don't care about your calories. They don't care about your goals unless they're a health food shop. They care about feeding you well. They care about you enjoying their food and then coming back to the restaurant or recommending to a friend because it was so damn good. So with that being said, they're going to add as much oils, as much fats, as much butter to your food as they want to, as much as they deem appropriate to make it taste good. I'm just recording this whilst having a burger last night, and they didn't think, oh, let's hold back on the cheese because the belly doesn't have enough fat micros for the day. They were like, let's load up on the cheese so it tastes so damn good that he wants this again. He recommends it to everyone he ever comes into contact with. So a good rule of thumb for when you're going out is to always to add 200 to 300 calories on top of what you estimate or on top of what they even say in the on the restaurant, is the menu itself. Even if it has calories and it says 550 calories, it's worth adding a few more on just to be on the safe side for that exact reason. So let's say a meal out is 800 calories and let's say a person's calories dropped to 1200, which is possible. And uh, this was the person who had 1800 uh, when we gave me the example earlier this now is two-thirds of their calories let's say they're not eating out until 8 p.m at night they and they wake up at six they've got to go 14 hours and make 400 calories last across 14 hours like that's not fun and i've been there before it's not fun you're gonna have minimal food you're gonna get to the restaurant you're gonna be absolutely starving and most of the time and this is another caveat and something i've mentioned before is that when you go to restaurants your serving size unless you go to a particular restaurant isn't always huge yet the food is still very calorific so you've come away you've saved all your calories and you get a kind of not really a satisfying meal and it's just 
just not ideal, right? You're probably your training performance will suffer. You're probably going to be a little bit moody throughout the day. At the beginning of the fat loss phase, like let's say this was the 1800 calorie person, that would have been a third. That's reasonable. But I think the deeper you get, the more mindful you have to be. And you just got to think about whether it's really worth it or not. So long story short, you can do it. You've just got to factor into your daily calories. I would definitely use this approach sparingly. I would also be very, very aware of your triggers and what it will do for your habit formation. Knowing yourself here is key. And then the final thing is just be wise with your calories towards the back end of your diet. As mentioned, if you've got 400 calories to spread across the entire day, it's not going to equal a very happy you and it wouldn't equal a very happy me either. So that was today's three questions and I'm particularly excited about answering that first one. I really hope that there was something that you took away from that and I'd love, love, love to hear your feedback. So let me know on Instagram, uh, drop a review, a five-star rating. That would make me incredibly, incredibly happy. But that is today's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Take care of yourself and I will speak with you on the next one. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.